This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 70th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. I'm joined with a very special guest today, Dave the Graz Grosby. David is a longtime sports radio host. He's been working in Seattle now for nearly three decades, an iconic sports broadcasting figure. Dave, before I go a little further with this interview with you, I want to recognize my engineer today. James Gerd. James has a lot of stuff at Rainier Avenue Radio. He also hosts the After Dark Show. We have a lot of good things going on here at the station. We're on RainierAvenueRadio.world on the World Wide Web. We have shows on the sports department hosted by Rick Dupree, myself, Granville Emerson, and Renault Laurent host a great show. Lidline Sports, Mazvita Marari hosts a great show, Seattle Sports Weekly. Uh, Pat McCarthy Mazvita hosts a show on the Metro Sports Conference, Mark Bryant hosts a fitness-based show, and Juan Cotto and Mike Cobrizzi have hosted a show at the station. My show, Sports and Stuff, has been around now for over two years, having a lot of fun. My interviews are on my website, pluslawoffices.com. They're all, most of them are all now up on Mixcloud. You can follow me on Twitter at PLS Law Offices. Well, Dave, I'm going to go back to you now. Uh, Dave Grosby, as I mentioned, has been in the Seattle area now for nearly 30 years. Dave has worked as a uh, sports radio host at Seattle's KGR Radio, and he's been at 710 ESPN Seattle for many years. Very visible and prominent voice in the Pacific Northwest sports scene. Dave has done so many things in in his sports broadcasting career, including working as a CLU basketball broadcaster. You've covered the Washington Cougars. list goes on. Dave uh, uh, has stepped back a bit due to a health care diagnosis, but he has been reestablished into some new roles at 710 ESPN Seattle. Dave does 1145 and segment John Clayton. He does a lot of fill-ins and still very much a, a voice in our uh, Seattle broadcasting community. Uh, Dave, I really appreciate you uh, coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio today. Paul, my pleasure. Glad to be here. Thanks, Dave. It was fun. Many years ago, I was in the interviewee seat when you asked me some questions about Seattle sports legalities, and it's it's fun many years later to to uh, have you in the seat I was in with you a few times. Yeah, we've come a long way, haven't we? Lots gone on over the years. And we're on Facebook Live today with Dave Grosby, so this is going to be fun. And I remember I, I had one interview with you where I, where I, I kind of stumbled a bit, so I, I hope I can redeem myself today a little bit. You know, so. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Thanks, Dave. Well, Dave, uh, as I told you and walked in here, you look great, and I know you've been dealing with a recent Parkinson's mm-hmm. diagnosis. Can you share a little bit of general awareness about Parkinson's and just some, some good resources for people in the community who may, who may uh, encounter that particular health care diagnosis? Well, the American Parkinson's Disease Association is uh, a great local agency uh, that people who are dealing with Parkinson's I'd recommend. Um, yeah, I was diagnosed about a year ago. Uh, stage one Parkinson's. Uh, I found out a lot about it. Um, I think, like everyone else, I had uh, my experience with Parkinson's, although my mother had it. Uh, but, but like most people, consider it to be either have what Muhammad Ali had or you have what Michael J. Fox had. And uh, I may have that at one point. But I, I've, I've learned that that Parkinson's is a boutique disease, as they call it, which is a fancy name that that doesn't really deserve it. But it means it's different for everyone. Everyone has their own. Diagnosis. Everyone's got their own uh, specific issues. Minor, primarily at this point in time, non-motor, but that can change. Um, it's uh, no cure for it. Obviously, it's degenerative, so it'll get worse. But um, I, I think maybe my biggest takeaway, Paul, from it is that it's unique for everyone. That that no one person's experience is the same as the others. I mean, my mom had a really tough time with it. She was actually allergic to the medication, and I said to my doctor, "Does that mean I'll be allergic too?" And he said, "No." I mean, it just, it's just it's a different thing for everyone who has it. So that's probably my biggest takeaway from, from dealing with it for the last year. 
important insights. Well, Dave, you look good, and you know many people can live long lives with Parkinson's disease. So. Oh yeah, you you don't die of Parkinson's; you die with Parkinson's. Well, like I, I think Fox has had it for thirty years, right? And I think that feedback you gave is helpful for for people in the community who who may have a family member or a friend of themselves or, that are addressing that that particular ailment. Well, Dave, I know your late father was a broadcaster. Yeah. And I want you to share with us what your parents, what effects your parents have had in your career. And tell us what effects your wife's, your wife Bonnie's had in your successful broadcasting career. Well, I mean, my, my, my father was, was in broadcasting. I was 11 years old when I walked into his, uh, well, he took me to, to his, his radio station for the first time, WAKR in, in Akron, Ohio. And uh, they had a television station at the time, too. This is back in 1971. And uh, he showed me his office. He was a sales manager, and it was just an office. And he showed me the big TV cameras they had back then. They were gigantic, Paul. You're not old enough to remember, but they were colossal. And then he showed me this room with not white. Not like these, huh? No, not like what we've got today at all. Then he showed me this room with uh, white uh, corkboard uh, walls and a guy talking into a microphone not that different from this one, barking into it, basically, smoking a cigarette, drinking a cup of coffee. And, and I saw it, and I said, well, that's for me. And. As the saying goes, yada, 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 it's, it's 48 years later. I mean, I fell in love when I was 11. Uh, my father nurtured it for me. He, he allowed me to, to intern for a long time, which I did. And uh, my mom was supportive as well. I mean, there was arguments over the dinner table when my dad would quiz me about sports stats that that would never, um, I'd never amount to anything knowing that stuff. And there wasn't really sports radio at the time. So my mom had a point, but, but they were always obviously very, very supportive and, you know, when I married my wife, uh, I proposed on our second date, and uh, we got married six months later, and I told her that, you know, unfortunately, in a broadcasting career, uh, we're going to be moving around a lot. And uh, literally, before we got married, we moved to L.A., and I did mornings in L.A. for two years and then came up to Seattle. And so it was from Sacramento to L.A. to Seattle in three years, three places. And I said, that's, that's kind of what it's going to be like, and we've been in Seattle for 29 years, so that's not what it was like at all. She's always been incredibly supportive, and uh, actually... The Seattle U broadcast, which I did for nine years, uh, we, we kind of produced them ourselves, and she was very involved in doing that. So uh, it's been, she's been tremendously supportive and, and just a fantastic wife who uh, I'm lucky to have. Absolutely. I met Bonnie a couple times over the years, just saw her drop you off at the studio today, and you, you've had some uh, great wife and a couple parents who I think certainly have played a role in all the success you've had in many ways. Most definitely. I mean, if the, if the support wasn't there, I mean, you know how it is. It's, it's very, very difficult to... Uh, to achieve anything, and, and from my standpoint, I had all the support a person could hope for. Dave, a little bit of a kind of a remote connection we have, I just figured I'll, I'll share this with you, is I know your father, late father, knew Pat O'Day. Oh, yeah. Well, listen to this. My late dad was Pat O'Day's attorney at one time. Oh, no kidding. So our, your, our dads both had a little Pat O'Day connection. Just yeah. thought I'd share that. A little fun little tie we had. Pat O'Day there. is a great connection to have, boy. Definitely. Head of my show and back in late 2017. What a fascinating guy he is. Unbelievable, yeah. Well, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, for, for good reason. He is a legendary, legendary figure, and he is another guy who has been unbelievably nice to me from, from the get-go here. I mean, was uh, someone I, I knew of and respected greatly, and, and he just um, he couldn't have been nicer to me over the years, and, and I've always really appreciated that. He's a neat guy. just thought I'd share our little kind of remote connection there. Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on RainierAvenueRadio.world with longtime sports broadcaster Dave Grosby. All right, Dave, you cover sports daily. I mean, you're, you know the statistics of sports so well. I've been listening to you for so many years. Before we got to know each other, I knew who you were for sure. And the Seahawks were a second-round playoff team. Do you think, based on their injuries and everything, that they, they probably maxed out with what they had this year? 
I most certainly think they maxed out with what they had this year. I mean, uh, they, they're a team that likes to run the ball that lost three running backs two weeks before the season ended. I mean, it was it was nothing short of miraculous that uh, Marshawn Lynch was able to do anything for them. And, and obviously the fact that they would even open the door to him the way the way it ended for him the first time around speaks volumes to, to what the Seahawks are. I mean, I, I think that there's a great danger in sports that, that I hope doesn't happen here, and it hasn't yet, is that people get tired of winning. They don't. They they want championships and 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 forget that winning is very very difficult to do. I mean, look at look at a lot of other franchises. So, I think the Seahawks absolutely maxed out. I think it's unless you're the New England Patriots, getting to the second round of the playoffs is is a successful year for any franchise in the National Football League. Yeah, it's it's hard to complain though. Sure, we we get greedy as fans, wanting teams to go or our favorite teams to go the next rounds, but. I, I I don't have a lot to complain about as a casual fan of the Hawks this year. No, no, that they, they were unbe- this year was probably the most entertaining year of Seahawks football I've ever seen. I mean, every single game seemingly went down to the wire. It was absolutely fantastic season. Uh, I'm more of a casual fan than a fan, uh, being in broadcasting uh, and covering the team. But um, I I can't think of a more entertaining season that that Seahawks have ever had. A lot of those fun close games and. And everything. Paul Schneiderman again on sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Dave Grosby. Dave, you arrived in Seattle, what was it, 1991 about? Yeah. Okay. And you, I know you live in Ohio. I think you lived in New York yep. growing up as well. You did work in Sacramento and Los Angeles. Do you think Seattle has become more sophisticated as a sports city since you came here in the early 90s? Give, give, help me measure that a little bit. It's a really good question. I mean, um, Seattle, it's, it's, I wouldn't use the word sophisticated because I think when I think of the, the time of Seattle sports, you think of, and you can't help it, you think of the great betrayal. I mean, the, the, the dominant story for me is, you know, Seattle sports fans had a team that they supported for 41 years leave. That's as long as the Dodgers were in Brooklyn. I mean, you know, that's, that's, um, that's something that hadn't happened in a lot of places, and I think that's sort of the dominant thing. Uh, you know, I mean, sophistication, sure. I mean, you, you look at uh, look at what happened with the soccer team. I mean, there's the Sounders have been the greatest professional sports rollout, I think, in any professional sport ever and continue to be that popular here. So, I mean, that, that speaks to sophistication. But I, I think that, that when I think of the Seattle sports scene over the last 30 years, it's very hard for me to divorce myself from, from the fact of, of the NBA uh, turning its back on Seattle, which is something that I'm, I'm not proud of, but I'm still bitter about. I'm not an NBA fan. I don't care if the NBA comes back. Frankly, I don't. I don't care at all if it comes back. I'm looking forward to the hockey team coming to town. I, I just. I can't get past my feelings of bitterness about how the NBA left town. Well, as a Saber Science guy, Dave, you know where I stand on that. Sure. And, and you know, you brought something up about the Sonics relocating. We had two other relocation battles: the Seahawks and the Mariners in the '90s as well. Well, the Seahawks left. <laughs> I mean, they actually packed the moving vans. And we're in Anaheim for a, for a, for a week, and, and uh, you're right. I mean, the Mariners were all signed, sealed, and delivered to go to Tampa, which seems funny now that Tampa's become such a dog market. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, and I, I think that kind of, you know, those experiences, you know, kind of made us feel like the Sonics thing would work out, and it, it ultimately did not. Did not. Well, hopefully we'll get a team back one day. Dave, I would ask something about the intersection of politics and social justice issues in sports. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening to sports radio a lot in the 1990s. You, Gas, the, the whole group that I, I listened to and still do. Um, I, politics didn't come up that much on sports radio. Maybe now and then, not that often. But in this era, it seems to come up more. I know that some sports radio hosts really want to avoid politics when they can. But 
Here's my question for you, Dave. How can a sports radio host avoid politics when there's so many labor management issues in sports, gender equity issues, racial justice issues, stadium funding issues? I mean, the list goes on. I mean, do you think a sports radio host is almost is it almost mandatory for a sports radio host to discuss politics these days? It's a really good question. I mean, it depends on the attitude of, of the employer. I mean, it really does. I mean, in some cases, they want you to stick to the numbers and, and, and sure. not, not go there. I mean... It depends on, on, on who you're working for and what their attitude is, but you make a good point. I mean, those issues, though, have always been there. I mean, they're not new issues. Sure. Uh, and certainly politics was a big issue in the 90s here with the franchises potentially relocating. So I don't think that's changed uh, all that much. Um, there are more avenues of, of people getting information nowadays, so maybe the pressure is off a little bit. I, I think it was, you know, when I started in sports radio, you, it was a completely different world than it is now. Um, you know, you were, uh, meaning myself, you know, and, and a sports talk show host, I would do things in, in the early 90s like um, preparing for the show would go to Bulldog News or, or go down to Pike Place Mark and get a couple of out-of-town newspapers. And by reading them and paying attention to them, you had an advantage. You actually knew things that other people didn't know. Nowadays, you wake up or you just look at your phone and you can find out all the information you want. It's at your fingertips. So the, the job has changed so dramatically that that, um, you know, for the social issues, political issues, a lot of people are getting those from other places, I think. So it's, um, it's an interesting position the sports radio host finds themselves in nowadays. Yeah, I just know that, that a lot of sports radio hosts, as I mentioned in, in, as part of my question, would really like to avoid politics. But, boy, it, just, it seems like every time you, you look at a newspaper or go online, there, there's, there's some connection between sports and politics these days. I mean... It, Maybe, I don't know. It just seems like the last 15, 20 years it's gotten heavier. With It's funny because um, when I was growing up, when I was really young, that's when sports and politics really did intersect. When you had Bill Russell and, and um, Muhammad Ali. I mean, you know, talk about a sports figure that was political. I mean, there's never been anyone to compare to him. I mean, uh, you know, we saw the, the generations change a little bit and, and Michael Jordan's line of Republicans buy sneakers too. And when he's asked why he wasn't politically involved, um, you know, it's changed dramatically. I, I, I would submit to you, Paul, that it was much more a politically active time during the 60s and the early 70s than it is right now. Greg, Greg Lewis, we both know. Greg, another great Husky and great football player. Greg, Greg felt that things got kind of complacent when it came to sports and politics when he played in the early 90s. That was yeah. Greg's take on, on that for maybe a period of time, it, things got a little more relaxed maybe, but... Uh, complacence is a good word for it. I mean, it just, you know, I, I think more and more with um, there being more knowledge out there, which, which means you kind of understand the bad things that are going on in society a lot better. Sports, more and more, I think people are looking at it as, as a place, a refuge from that, whereas I think in, in earlier days maybe it was it was a part of the part of the, the landscape. I think nowadays it's really people are looking to sports to try and escape from that more than anything else. A lot of truth to that. Paul Schneiderman again on sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. We're on Facebook Live today with the, the great Dave Grosby having a fun conversation about all sorts of subjects today. Dave, you've followed Washington State University football since you've been here. Sure. And you know the program well. And and I want to I kind of take out the Gros crystal ball here for a minute. So the, the, the Washington State University hired Nick Rolovich. The, recently he was the Hawaii coach. All right, I'm going to have you put on a crystal ball hat. Um, do you see Rolovich matching the Mike Price, Mike Leach kind of success of Washington State, or do you see it being him being more in the Paul Wolf League or somewhere in between? What, what do you 
I know it's a tough question. It's a, it's a good question. I, I think, you know, and you're right. I mean, you, when you talk about uh, the last 30, 40 years of Cougar football, you talked about the two successful runs. Mike Price and his quote-unquote coaching tree, Bill Doba, had some success after him, and then Mike Leach. Um, I think when you look at why Leach was successful, he brought in an offense that, that now is becoming a lot more commonplace, but at the time was not the air raid. Um, it allowed you to recruit uh, to a place that's very difficult to recruit to. We know that's the challenge at Washington State, and, and to have a little bit of a different look on offense. The top quarterbacks in the country knew that if they came here, their numbers would go off the charts and it would improve their, their draft position. And Leach was a guy who had success in Lubbock, Texas, before he went here. And now he's off to Starkville, Mississippi, another small town. Uh, so he'll probably do well there. I, I think that the thing that I like about the new Cougar coach is he's running the run-and-shoot offense, which is not an offense that a lot of teams are running. requires a certain specific type of athlete. Wide receivers can have gigantic numbers in the run-and-shoot, asking quarterbacks as well. So I think from that aspect, it's a Mike Leach-like hire, and I think that's, that can be successful. Paul Wolf was hired as a guy who had been in eastern Washington. You figured he could recruit the state, and, and that's always the talk. But Mike Leach was successful not recruiting the state. I understand that everyone wants to recruit the state, but that's not as important as getting good recruits is and, and being able to recruit nationally. And when you're running an offense like the run and shoot, you've got a better chance of recruiting nationally. So I think there's a possibility, a good possibility, that it'll have some great success at Washington State. And certainly Mike Leach left the program in much better condition than it was when he took over. And I'm not a Cougar, I'm a Husky, but for all of Leach's kind of um... – well, you're going to miss him. Crazy, you're going to miss him in the Apple Cup. That's a way to look at it. But but he he you know he did leave the program in better shape. Washington, it's hard. It's in it's incontrovertible that he did. Yeah, you know, I mean so, they were they so. were. I mean think Paul Wolf's last year was two and eleven or, or one and ten something like that, and and he's now they they went to four straight bowl games and won double digit games and have produced some NFL quarterbacks. So yeah, they they. Rolovich is taking over a pretty good program. My Wazoo friends have always had a soft spot for Paul Wolf, but you like you like the Jimmy Lake hire you did. Yeah, I mean, what's going to be interesting about that hire is um, it's his first head coaching job. And uh, guys who have been in coaching, and I kind of learned this watching Cameron Dollar, who took his first head coaching job at Seattle U. The thing that you don't expect, the thing that sometimes surprises guys, is how much of being a head coach has nothing to do with coaching, especially on the college level. I'm not talking about recruiting because these guys can all recruit. I'm talking about now when someone's got a girlfriend problem, it's up to you. Now when there's issues off the field of, of any kind of variety, it's up to you. As an assistant coach, you kind of were able to be a little more, little more tunnel-focused uh, on, on what you're doing and, and on your position group. So I think Jimmy Lake has certainly got the chops to be a good head coach, but uh, his challenge will be dealing with the stuff that has nothing to do with football, which is a big part of the job when you're the head coach. We'll see how he does. Well, I think the 2020s will be fasting for Washington State University and University of Washington football. Dave, I want to ask you about some of the interviews you've done over the years. You've interviewed so many fascinating figures in, in sport, in the sports world, and outside the sports world as well. Can you think of an interview you did with a guest with, where you really learned something new, like, wow, I did not know that about that person or about that subject. Can you mention one or two interviews you did where something came out that was like, whoa, I did not know that? I mean, almost too many to mention. Uh, you know, I've been surprised on some occasions. I'll tell you what I, what I remember when you asked that, what came to mind immediately was, was one of the most surprising interviews I ever did. And it was right before, I think it was right before the uh, Apple Cup between Washington and Washington State when Ryan Leaf was a senior and was going to be the number two pick in the draft. And he did an interview with me, I think it was on Thursday. And um, 
he just couldn't have sounded more down, depressed, out of it. And uh, it, it was actually after the game. It was before the draft. And I remember thinking, my God, this guy is going to go in the, top five, pick in the uh, top five pick in the draft, maybe number one even, and he's not even ready to play football. He didn't even sound like a football player to me. So I mean, he seemed that, out of it. Completely. I mean, seemed to really be troubled. And, and that, that when, you, when you talk about it, jumped out. I mean, I've done so many of those interviews like you've talked about over the years. I mean, and, and I, I, I really try and listen when I do interviews to, to what, what the guys are saying. So I, I honestly can say that I've, I've probably learned something from every interview that I've done. And uh, I've been surprised more often than I can remember. I have, too, as I started doing this a couple of years ago. Every interview I learned something new. But every so often I, I, I hear a response, really, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. I, but um, wh- Who's a living sports interview, living sports figure that you have not interviewed that you love to interview? Dave Sims said Sandy Koufax. <laughs> That's a great answer. I mean, it's funny. I was, gonna, I was thinking about baseball immediately. Um, yeah. Boy, that is that that is tough. Um, I probably say as much as I'm not a fan of his, Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, yeah. I just would would be interested in in rattling around in that head and seeing seeing what what he's all about. Find out what makes him tick. Yeah, he's he's been a controversial figure, and and I'd be I'd be curious to know about him. Who's a deceased sports figure that you never interviewed? You have loved to have interviewed. Oh man, I mean, where where do I begin? Uh, you know, I was lucky enough to interview Muhammad Ali, so I mean, wow. uh, he would have been he would have been on the top of that list. Um, you know, and, and you got me thinking about uh, on, on a fighter r- realm. I would have loved to have interviewed Joe Frazier. I never had a chance to. Um, Probably Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb. Well, on your of course, list. <laughs> those guys. Although those guys weren't interviewed at the time, uh, Ted Williams is a guy I would have liked to have interviewed. Uh, sure. I would have found him as a, a fascinating character, and, and actually, Kurt Flood is a guy who would have been interested in interviewing and, and finding out how he had the courage to stand up to baseball the way he did. You think Kurt Fletcher in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. Well, Marvin Miller first. Finally Miller got in. Yeah. Marvin Miller was was was, was a huge oversight. The, the baseball industrial complex did not want Miller in for many, many years. And he was arguably the most important baseball figure in the last 50 years. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, Kurt Flood, I think, has, has a good case. If you're just tuning in... Paul Schneiderman on sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Row at Dave Grosby. We're on Facebook Live right now. Dave, was there ever an interview you did where you did not ask a particular question? You look back and you go, God, I should have asked that question. Man, you are asking tough questions, Paul. <laughs> no, I'm not, don't worry, it's not a deposition. I'm these, these, are, these are tough questions. Um, and my memory is, unfortunately, one of the things that's not as good as it used to be. You're um, doing great. You're doing great. I'm sure that that's the case. I mean, I have no doubt that's the case. I, I guess the two or three times after the fact that I talked to Don James and never really asked him why he left the way he left uh, kind of comes to mind right away. It's a great answer. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's, I'll stick with that answer. Stick with that one. Was there ever a question you asked in an interview that you regretted later? Ever a question I asked in an interview that I regretted later? Um, you know, the only ones that I've ever done were, were when, I, when I asked a question without doing my research and was, was exposed to being stupid. I, I interviewed once, covering spring training many years ago, Carney Lansford uh, with the A's in the early part of his career. And, and, you know, I knew that he had missed the last couple of seasons. He had, he had had injuries. And I asked him if he felt like he was injury prone. And, you know, he had gotten hit by a, a ball on the, on the hand. I mean... 
he broke his broke his wrist bone, which is obviously had nothing to do with conditioning or anything like that. And he kind of asked me, did I do any research? And you know, do you know what you're talking about? I mean, how am I supposed to avoid avoid something like that? So it would only be in those circumstances where I didn't do research and ask the question that that made me look foolish and feel foolish because uh, it was it was a dumb question. But those are always tough situations. At the same time. Maybe the interviewee shouldn't have been so hardcore too. So I don't mind. I don't blame him at all for that. I mean, you didn't blame it, it all. Interesting. No, no. If you're gonna if you're gonna ask the question and, and it's a dumb question, you better be prepared to to reap the whirlwind. I've asked a few that probably weren't the best, but hey, you just you just you kind of see where something lobs sometimes, you know. But, right, uh, Dave. I the, the, you mentioned the, the the Sonics relocation and the, the, if we, there's finally a key arena remodel plan. The CNHL franchise is coming here next year. What do you think, Dave? Is, is, is this the best indoor arena plan, the, the key arena plan, or are you more of a Soto guy still? Well, I mean, this is a funny – this is where politics would enter into it a little bit. Um, you know, I'm a, a downtown Seattle resident. Uh, the city owns key arena. We're paying taxes for it. We, we paid for it. Um, I was not necessarily a Soto guy, though I love Chris Hansen and I like that idea. I also knew that, that if, if, if Key Arena wasn't remodeled, what were they going to do with it? You know, it was going to become a tax burden. So uh, it was a great place when the Sonics were there. I mean, the issues with traffic and things like that were there before. They'll be there, they'll be there after. I'm, I was one of those people who was okay with Key Arena as a choice. Uh, you know, I, I've come around on it in some levels, on a personal level, and the fact that the NHL guys delivered is so huge, isn't it? Well, it is, and and you know another thing that where I took kind of an unpopular stand uh, on on arenas, and I did this, you know, starting with really with right after Safeco Field with the Mariners was I don't believe in public funding for arenas. I think it's I think it's an absolute outrage, and and I think there's plenty of studies that show that it is, and I don't believe in public funding for for for, for those stadiums. So, you know, once they came up with a plan that it was that it was going to be privately funded, I, I think that 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 really tipped the scales and. And I think Chris Hansen kind of made a mistake by having any kind of public aspect to it at all. And I think the hockey team's going to do very well, by the way. Well, I have you back one day. Hopefully soon we can talk more about these issues. Dave, we have about 30 seconds left. What does the future hold for Dave Grosby? Hopefully another interview with you where well, I, can, be honored. I can do a better job. And, and uh, I've, I've got uh, – I'm still hoping to have a, a lot more career left. I, I'm doing the hit what you mentioned with John Clayton. I'm doing a – a YouTube feature called Just a Minute that, that runs uh, that runs twice a week. Uh, I'm enjoying doing that. Still making appearances and still uh, still broadcasting. So hopefully still working is what's in the future for me. Dave, great to have you come in today and do an interview on sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Paul, my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, Dave. Those are good.